Welcome to Multitask. This is John. It's your boy Fadi. What's going on, guys? Elon, Kanye, where do we begin? Both had, had the, the previous week going into this, both just had had a week. I think we probably want to start on Thursday, which is not really the start, but it's probably where the best intersection of the two is. Basically, Kanye went ham. He went on Alex Jones. He doubled down on the uh, anti-Semitism. That's after going after this. Tim Pool or somebody else. I mean, we're, we're learning about a lot of these bloggers, uh, podcasts, videocasts, whatever, uh, YouTube channels that just are, are crazy. And so Kanye goes on and he does. Alex Jones talks about it, gives praise to Hitler, then turns around, goes to Twitter and initially has a great rapport and great back and forth between him and Elon. And then next thing you know, he's tweeting pictures of the star David with uh, with a swastika in it, and he finally gets suspended where he belongs. What's your take on uh, on Kanye and Elon's uh, horrible week? You know, when you were just describing the swastika with the star David, I could just, can you imagine, I don't mean to make fun of it, it's certainly not funny, but can you just imagine the phone call that Kanye makes to his graphics guy? He's like, hey, listen, hear me out on this one. I want to put the Star of David and the Swanson together. It's it's outrageous, right? So there was a tweet that went viral this week from 2018 from somebody I can't give credit to because uh, I don't remember. But he said everybody should get off the Kanye train before he goes full Hitler was good guy, right? And the reason, uh, kudos to him, but the reason that this is so predictable, John, is because this is where it always ends up. It starts with the earth is flat. It starts with vaccine stuff, Fauci. It escalates to Biden's laptop to 9-11. And, we, and that, people totally skipped over that. Was that he would, uh, um, so some of that in this too, right? Um, so it, this is where it always ends up. It always ends up with Hitler and Nazis and, and what kind of this white fascism, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, you know what's crazy, John, is this is so eventful of a week for him that people forget that he went to meet with Trump at the beginning of the week with a white supremacist, right? And, John, everyone's focused on the important things. What I'm about to say is not the necessarily the most important thing of this week, but he went to Mar-a-Lago to ask Trump to be his vice president. Like, just how crazy that alone would be the biggest story of the year. And here we are. It's not even top 10 of the whole week. Um yeah, so I guess just back to my point, this is where it always ends up with people like this. They're fully down a rabbit hole. They're fully uh, entrenched in the conspiracy. And, and and people around him are just so deplorable that he has no choice but to be like them. And, and that's where it ends up with, with somebody like Kanye. Well, I think the thing is, um, where I, I think we're a good place to land because it does go back to the intersection between Kanye and Elon and Trump is that infamous tweet from the Republicans in the, in, in the House Judiciary, which said, didn't it say Elon, Kanye, Trump, or Trump? You know, it, it listed all three, and it stayed up. And, it, and, and despite Kanye saying some anti-Semitic stuff, Trump saying some anti-Semitic stuff, uh, and Elon just being an all-around horrible human being, uh, the, the House GOP left it up until Thursday when, when the Hitler, or it wasn't even, was it, was it was it did they move on Hitler or did they move on the swastika? I'm not sure what what prompted them to move, but I think that all I say that all to say 
that um, those three had a horrible week. Those three, um, when you think about how they've dominated the headlines almost ever since the election, that and the fact that the Republican Party just can't get it together in the House and Kevin McCarthy might end up not being the speaker. But uh, when, when, you, when you think about that, and it's all because of the dissension, right? And when you also think about Elon, now granted, Trump has not used his Twitter platform, and I, and I still think that as long as Truth Social is, is the do- doors are open, I don't think Trump's going to do anything on Twitter until Truth Social goes away, unless there's a merger between Truth Social and, and Twitter. But that being said, I know it was just a horrible week for all three. And it's. I also think, and I think we need to go here immediately, this needs to be a liability for Republicans. The Trump, Elon, um, and Kanye are all and have all been celebrated in the Republican Party. And I think their celebration of the two, of the three, even though we know all three are horrible people, it needs to become a liability for them. John, I absolutely think it will. I think... Not only that, but um, the like we could just so we could just put it all together. But the January sixth stuff, Trump's hell bent on this. Kanye went down there to talk about it, right? That stuff's going to be held against him too. I absolutely think it's a liability, John, because here's the thing, right? This 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 is what Republicans used to do so good to Democrats was they used to use AOC against us in different places. They used to use like Anthony Weiner or Bill Clinton or Hillary against us in different places. People that weren't on the ballot, they would use against us to win over voters. Kanye and Elon are doing that for us on the other side. Elon is actively promoting DeSantis, actively promoting Republicans. Kanye is a Republican candidate. Now, I know some of some of us believe that's a uh, voter suppression for the Democrats. I totally understand that point of view. Uh, but what I'm saying is he's still a distraction in that in that wing. Right. So I absolutely think that when people come to vote in 2024, Elon Trump will be on their mind. Uh, Kanye will be on their mind. It's, they won't make a decision because of that. But remember what I told you back in the summer with the January 6th hearings, the uh, uh, overturning of Roe, all these different situations that just kept piling on really led to voters being just fed up of Republicans, right? It wasn't that Republicans weren't offering anything. They were offering a side that was scary to voters. And this is part of that. So I absolutely think they will be held liable in 2024, or they will be held their feet to the fire in 24. I actually like this, John. I know it sounds crazy. I like it because the more and more wild they get, I think the more and more Americans realize how wild they are. Like we, you and me for a long time, you more so than I do because of, uh, I, I got into it later, obviously, but Republicans have always been this way. Right? Reagan was kind of out of out of left field, right? Bush was not a, you know what I mean? Like Bush isn't the greatest uh, Republican out there, right? But now that we really see them and they're really out on front street, if you will, um, I think they will be held uh, accountable come uh, two years from now. Yeah, um, and look, think about it. Uh, so Kevin McCarthy finally came out and condemned uh, white supremacy and anti-Semitism. But here's the thing. And I hope that the, the Democrats find a way to exploit this. You've got Paul Gosar, you've got Marjorie Taylor Greene, who have cozied up to Nick Fuentes. And I have some thoughts about Nick Fuentes I'll share a little bit later because it's hard. We, there's so many different elements of this. But 
you can't condemn Nick Fuentes and Kanye and then all of a sudden turn the other way and welcome Gosar and Marjorie Taylor Greene into your inner circle as you're trying to become the Speaker of the House over the 118th Congress. That cannot happen. And if if they do not continue to ostracize, and additionally, when they talk about blocking Swalwell, Schiff, and Ilhan Omar from committee, there is, there's whatever standards you utilize to get rid of those three, which would be BS, but whatever standards that, that McCarthy would utilize, there's no sincere, authentic way that he can justify uh, allowing um, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar back into uh, civil company, I should say. Uh, yeah, I mean, I hear you. I just think this is what the Republican Party is, John. Nick Fuentes is the Republican Party. So is Gosar, so is Marjorie, right? These aren't outliers. We, we kind of believe that. This is the Republican Party. This is what they stand for. The reason they're distancing themselves from Fuentes is because the, the heat is on, right? Just like Trump, in January 6th, they all went against him the night of and the next day. And then a week later, they were all kissing the ring in Mar-a-Lago, right? The heat is on them. So they're just going to momentarily say, we disavow or whatever they're going to say. And then a week later, they'll be back on it. So they have no bottom, John. Like it, us expecting them to do the right thing. Is just never going to pan out. Um, and I do believe that it'll hurt him. It didn't hurt Margie, but it, it certainly hurt Bobert, right? It hurt Bobert in the midterm. She almost lost that race. Um, look, John, they're going to run amok, right? We've seen on Twitter, obviously, with the Biden, the Hunter story, they're going to run amok. And I think that's going to be good for us. Do you, do you agree? Let me ask you. Well, we just talked about it a little bit, but the more and more they put light to Margie and Gosar and all these people, isn't that just good for us? Because it, it it shows the voters exactly what the contrast is between a Democratic and a Republican candidate. No, no, it it does. And I think, though, when you think about let's look at Georgia and how there are people admitting on the, who are voting for Walker that he doesn't have what it takes and he's not really good, but they're still supporting him. Right. Um, I think that and it's, it was interesting. One of my students asked me this week about. Will there ever be a time in which, you know, people vote in Congress and Congress votes not based upon party, but what's best for the American people? And I told him, I said, it's really weird because from a partisan perspective, you know, I'm fine with some of the divisions. But as an American, not as a Democrat, but as an American, I would like to see us come together. But would you agree that we're at a point now where being magnanimous, being fair, trying to do the right thing, um, there's no reward in doing it. And more importantly, and I think it's more so a lot, it's more of a problem for us than them, is that if we ever find ourselves doing that, being a bigger guy or doing the right thing, the other side will exploit that, right? So going back to, you know, going back to your question, um, it's going to be hard to really understand, you know, I, I think it'll be a long time before people start saying this is the best person. And I think the I think the Democrats, knowing that we are in a polarized environment, I think that the best thing that Democrats can do is not just go ahead and say we're going to put up a rank, you know a rank and file Democrat who ain't ain't nothing. We're going to back them. 
I think it's important for Democrats to put up good quality candidates because that might be a way to get some of the people on the other side over. But I think that, yeah, we're very divided. We're very partisan. And I don't think that's going to change. But because we're so partisan, I do think that we owe it to America that we just don't put up a Herschel Walker or a Paul Gosar or a Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert that no matter where we run, folks, we run the best people, because I think that's really the only way to maybe change things. Interesting. As you were talking, I just kept thinking of uh, Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin and how that was, from all uh, intents and purposes, a good candidate. And he's running against somebody who's super unpopular in that state and nationwide. Um, now he came close, right? Let's give credit where credit's due. He ran a, a good campaign and came close, but I just keep, I'm fearful that, that we, 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 we've showed up, we showed up clearly in the midterms and, and we had a historic turnout in the midterms. I just worry that, does it feel like there's more of them than us? Or w- what do you think it is that people will still continue to vote for somebody like Ron Johnson, despite all the stakes I guess that's where I'm struggling with is, um, is there more to it? Is there more? I, I know a lot of people are playing Monday morning quarterback on Barnes's is campaign, but Obama was there. Obama had a viral moment, probably the biggest moment of, of, of the midterms as far as the media goes. So what is it about something like, is it just not enough yet? Is it too close, but not enough? No, well, there's a few things. First and foremost, it's hard to say that we've talked about this and we've seen a lot of this conversation online. I think that there's some things that no matter what Barnes did, he was going to, you know, there's enough people on the right who would just vote for anything. The other thing though, is that Barnes use all of his tools. You know, he's one of those people who is been very close to Bernie. Um, I know that, uh, Madison, Wisconsin is very liberal, but Wisconsin is very similar to Illinois in that you've got liberal pockets in Madison and Milwaukee, but the rest of the state is pretty damn red. And I think that Mandela thought he could run further to the left. You know, not he didn't really run a campaign further to the left, but he had done a lot of stuff further to the left before the race, like when it comes to police reform, the full embrace of Bernie. Um, and he didn't bring Biden in. And I wonder if he had gone ahead and really embraced Biden. And I don't know if he, and was was the goose cooked before, What you know, once he became the nominee, were they in trouble because of some of the things, some of the very far left things in his past that they were going to use against him? Um, he, you know, remember how before this race, we kept on saying in many ways, we can't really Monday morning quarterback because people are going to vote the way they're going to vote. I think there's maybe two or three scenarios in which strategically we could have done something different and had a different outcome. I wonder if the Mandela Barnes race is one of those, right? That where we could have done something different. I don't know. I mean, you've been, you've been looking at polls, you've been looking at numbers. Do you think that um, Wisconsin was, was just like, was it a situation that similar to what Val Demings ran into in Florida or what Beasley ran into in, 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 in North Carolina? 
or could they have done some things differently and had a different outcome in Wisconsin? Uh, it's hard to say, but uh, just like when I posed the question, let's give him credit. He, it's not like he got blown out. It's not like it was a 15-point loss. Like He came as close as he, anyone has gotten so far to beating him, right? So let's give him credit there. But I, I think you might be onto something. I think he leaned away from the accomplishments. A part of it is like he's not part of Congress, so or he's not part of the Senate, so he can't necessarily campaign on what Biden did because he ne- wasn't necessarily part of it. And maybe somebody like um, Mark Kelly or Cortez Mastro were able to do that. They were able to say, hey, look at what we did, right? And I wonder how that comes into play with Manchin or Cinema in 2024, right? So is, Val Demings couldn't do that either. She could talk about Democrats and what Democrats are going to do, but you can't really campaign on something that you weren't necessarily part of. The other thing I think, John, is um, look, there's something to say about experience, right? Like Biden, Pelosi, Schumer. Um, Barnes is young. He's, I think he's just turned 36. So he was 35 as they, these people were getting to know him. And look, there's young candidates who won across the board. But generally speaking, I think somebody, uh, a regular ev- everyday voter might want somebody who uh, is a little bit more experienced. Maybe that has something to do with it. And it's just hard to beat an incumbent. That's just that's just the nature of the situation. It's extremely hard to beat an incumbent, especially somebody like Ron Johnson, who has name recognizability, right? Um, I don't know. It, there's probably a million different factors where if you just tinker and tailor them, that they would have became a different outcome. But he came close, and and I guess that deserves some sort of credit. He came pretty close. No, yeah, he did. He did come close, but. I don't know, but let's, you know, getting back to the whole, because we don't, it's funny because we can go in different directions, but we're going to come back to Elon and, and Kanye. Um, when you think about the way that, and this maybe ties into Barnes, even though uh, Kyle Rittenhouse is actually from Illinois, he carried out his crimes in Racine. Um, there's, when you think about the Kanye block, which Kanye gets in bed with Nick Fuentes and Milo, whatever the hell Milo's last name is. Um, I was I was thinking about that visit down to Mar-a-Lago, and I was thinking about how people were offended, and they really wanted Trump to go ahead and condemn those folks. But now maybe this is a little hyperbolic, but we're criticizing Trump for hanging out with white supremacists and anti-Semites, to me, is no different than criticizing Osama bin Laden for hanging out with terrorists. Maybe a little hyperbolic, but I was what, what I'm saying is that there were a lot of people who were feeling like, damn it, Trump's better than this, and he needed to he needs to condemn this. But if you look at the man's track record, if you pay attention to his entire career, why, again, it's bad for those guys to come down, but I didn't need to see Kanye West and Nick Fuentes in the room to know that Trump's a bad person. And why do we even give him the opportunity to condemn them? Because he's them. He is on the same level. Now, I'm one of those folks, and, and I've you know some people I look at or look up to will say, well, you know, no, he's not racist. He just, he, he kowtows racism. I don't know about you, and I'm not sure if it's the same way. With it. My attitude is, if you use racism or anti-Semitism to build your base, I cannot, you don't get the benefit of the doubt in me saying, oh, you're not racist or you're not anti-Semitic. 
if if even if you don't in your heart hate these folks, if you're willing to allow bad faith, racist and anti-Semitic arguments and appeal to racist and anti-Semites, I, you don't get the benefit of the doubt that you're not a racist or anti-Semite yourself, in my opinion. Yeah, with Trump specifically, clearly he is. He is a racist. Like, this goes back to the 70s, and this goes back to the Central Park Five. Like, the documentation of him being a racist isn't 2015 and after, right? It, this goes on a long time, right? So for him specifically, to the general argument, I, I tend to agree. I think a lot of people think that if you support Trump, you're either a racist or racism isn't a deal breaker for you. Um, I don't know what that looks like in, in, in contrast. Like it looks the same to me if I'm in the room. Right. So I agree with your, your notion there. I just, who quickly, John, who, who are you expecting? Like you're saying, Oh, they're mad because Trump's better than this. Is this our side? Is this just the media? Is this the Republicans who want more from him? Who, who are you referring to? Well, first of all, it's Republicans. It's the media. And there might be some people on our side, but I, I just, I think we have to rethink the way we approach certain things. And my attitude is people who use racism and anti-Semitism uh, and allow it, leverage it, exploit it, and appeal to people who have that. I just, I, I, I'm just sick and damn tired of people thinking, you know, again, it's almost like saying to Kevin McCarthy, oh, you got to condemn this. I don't want insincere con- condemnations, and I don't think it's fair uh, or right that Kevin McCarthy can fix his lips and criticize Nick Fuentes and anti-Semitism and not do a damn thing about Lauren Boebert or Paul Gosar, right? It's it's and and so when we ask them to condemn something that either they basically condone or at least ignore in others, or in the case of Trump, use and exploit themselves. I don't. I, I feel that's insulting to us. That's that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's what I was asking because uh, re- Republicans aren't. I don't think they're disappointed that he met with them. I think they're disappointed that it was so public. Um, he, John. A lot of these people. You know when it happened was um, when the NFL owners. There was a report out that some like eighty percent of them were Trump voters or. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And there was a lot of disappointment across, and I'm just like, I, I kind of knew that already. Like it's pretty obvious to me, and so that's what this whole Trump thing is to me. Is this is who he hangs around with? We just don't know it as much, and we just don't see it. It's not as public as because someone like Kanye made it public. Um, Trump coming out and says, "I have no idea who that guy is." It's completely wrong, right? Republicans know exactly who Nick Fuentes is. They they use his rhetoric. They use his rhetoric to get voters on their side. Um, I just think it's up to the media to hold their feet to the fire. For instance, McCarthy went to, you could correct me if I'm wrong, John, but I think um, Macron was here maybe, and they had a dinner, a state dinner, if I'm not mistaken, and McCarthy was there. Right. And they asked him about it. They asked him about it at the dinner, and McCarthy looked at them and said, hey, come on, guys, I'm here with my mom. Like, there's a time and a place, right? And that's the type of energy I want, though, is to always make sure that they never um, have a moment to kind of breathe off that stuff. So I expect two years full of that, of holding other people responsible for him. Everywhere McConnell goes, ask him. Everywhere McCarthy goes, ask them. And it's it's going to get um, 
hard for them to maneuver without those sort of questions following them. So that's where I think our job and the media's job lies in the next kind of the following steps, if you will. Right. So now let's let's take it back to Elon. Elon has gone ahead and, you know, he's, I think when we think about that final offending tweet, the combination star David and Swastika, Elon owns that. There was a reason why Kanye was suspended, and it had everything to do with something he said that was anti-Semitic. So if all of a sudden this man, Kanye, is suspended, and he's suspended for anti-Semitism, and in your effort, Elon, to be a free speech absolutionist, you go ahead and puff your chest out and let him on, and he does anti-Semitism again, that's not on him. That's on you. Fool me once, you're the fool. Fool me twice, I'm the fool. I, 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 it's great that they locked him down, but I think Kanye, or I mean, I'm sorry, I think Elon needs to be held accountable for that. Yeah, you did, I guess, the right thing in getting rid of him, but the damage was done already. Not only the damage was done, but I think there's an opportunity for us to, to do what he does. Like, I know I keep saying this about Republicans, but give them a taste of their own medicine. Elon, we should brand Elon as anti-free speech because he blocked Kanye or he deleted or suspended Kanye. We should say that Elon is anti-free speech because that's what he was accusing everybody else of doing. Because when somebody else posted something and we wanted it taken down, he accused us of being anti-free speech. Now that he's doing it to Kanye and doing it to other people and letting other people escape, that he's anti-free speech. And I think that's part of the energy I want towards him. I, I don't care what happens to Twitter like I do, but at the same time, I, I just don't have control of it. I don't care what happens to him or Twitter or Kanye. I don't even care if Kanye is suspended or not. I just think there's an opportunity for us to continue to keep the heat under uh, Elon's feet, and that's to continue to say he's anti-free speech, the lawsuits, um, et cetera, et cetera. John, we know, we know that his shtick is BS, so how can we put his BS on front street? Is, is the, is, that's the type of... Um, like, like we'll get into it, but the Hunter thing is he clearly bought Twitter with the intention of releasing all this stuff. And now he's released internal documents for a political score because he was upset that we made fun of him. Um, that seems the most anti-free speech out of anything that anything Jack or previous Twitter has done. Right. So I think there's a moment for us to kind of shove that back in his face, if, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. And I think here's the thing is. Elon. He's an embarrassment. He the since he took over Twitter, it's been a very chaotic place. Um, as we saw today, he allowed some Nazi on, uh, and he's been letting people on. At the same time, there were some uh, someone from Media Matters and I think a progressive economist. They got suspended. I think they're both back. But the man's a chaos agent. A lot of his memes. Uh, including his use of the Pepe the Frog, which he used in the last week. You know, there's a lot going on in one week. Yeah. You know, his base, his group is, and uh, is that I'll call you. I'm going to be a little uh, messy here, but it's almost like it's almost like the incel base, uh, the the racist white supremacist in incels. Uh, that's a lot of his memes followed out are the ones that they all use. Uh, Elon, you know, and then that that crap he pulled with Apple this week, 
uh, where he put him on the spot. Turns out that they were never threatened. And I guess they've they've even got a good uh, Apple's even got a good advertising spin. What was he doing? What was, and I mean that that's misinformation. That's mis. I, I don't quite get what the hell's going on, and and how can this? I don't know. It, it, we you and I can't call him a disappointment because we he's doing exactly what we knew he would do. Um, I do think though that what will happen and we've talked about this a few times remember last week or the other week i was saying i don't think um from an infrastructure standpoint twitter will crash but i think that from a quality and experience standpoint it will well i'm also beginning to think that what will happen is i don't see a mass exodus i think it's going to result in just a change in behavior you know how facebook was just like to go to and then people like like I said, you and I still have Facebook and we use it, but our the amount of time we're on Facebook will drop. And and it's very limited. I think Twitter, because as with Facebook, you know, we've made a lot of great connections that we may not replicate in other places. So I don't want to necessarily get rid of Twitter for that matter, but I could literally see a significant decrease in the amount of time I tweet and maybe a change in behavior in how I use Twitter. I don't see it going away, but that, but my change in behavior is going to be due in large part to the hellhole that Elon Musk has turned it into. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It reminds me of everything else, right? MySpace turned super spammy, super body. Facebook turned super spammy. Arguments, groups, body. Um, everything that kind of um, turns into that always ends up dying or just changes enough where it ends up dying as it, as it once was technically my space is still around somewhere. Right. So I don't know what happens with Twitter. There hasn't been an alternative. It's pretty clear that Mastodon has took a hit and that's not going to work out. Um, Post is gaining some speed. I know Boozy's working on something. <laughs> we'll see how that works. He kind of took a hit a little bit. So look, as it stands now, Twitter is the only thing that kind of provides the service. I just worry, John, that, in the immediate, it turns into 4chan, 8chan. It just becomes super um, body and spammy. And we just have to kind of police our own timelines a little bit until things clear up. But the question I have for you is, is you sent me after the last two weeks, you sent something to me and I, I sent I sent you a message back and said, the, the rate Elon's going is extremely unsustainable, right? Lawsuits. Remember, he still has Tesla and there's still other things going on. It's not like Twitter's the only thing. He's doing it by himself, right? He fired everybody. There's no board of directors. He's personally reviewing like each case or whatever it is, right? It's unsustainable. It just is for a human. And I just wonder, I'm going to put you on the spot. Where, where do you think this ends up? Is Does it end up in Twitter completely crashing and Elon just control all delete? Does it end up in maybe Elon just selling it to get out of um under there, he doesn't make a profit or anything. He just sells it. Does it end up in like investors saying, "Hey, you got to step down. Somebody else is going to run it." Um, where do you think? Where do you think this goes in the next? I don't know. Next eighteen months. Well, to your point, I don't know the regulatory uh, issues or concerns, but I definitely feel as though, and um, you know, evidently Elon met with Tim Cook this week. But I, I, if if it would past buster regulatory i see elon at some point selling to apple or google at a loss maybe oh interesting 
hot take uh, as a distress as, as a distressed property. Um, you know, and, and you and I've also talked about Bezos, right? Um, I think here's the thing. Um, we all know that Twitter wasn't making money, but I think Twitter had set up in the public, when it was especially a public traded company. I think they had set up a scenario that they were buying themselves time to be profitable, to turn a thing. And the, the, the way that Elon just busted in, did the hostile takeover, uh, delisted it, um, basically put extreme pressure on it to be profitable faster than was probably required or or necessary with it as a publicly traded company. And I think that it was a very delicate and it is a very delicate in uh platform and I think that his tinkering has forever changed it and I think that somebody with resources who could use it um as part of their portfolio. I mean, think about it. Now granted Elon's got Tesla and he's got SpaceX but they're all separate type of businesses, right? They're, they're, you know, there's this, this, and this. Anybody else in the tech world, a, 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 an Apple, an Amazon, a Google, it could, they could probably afford for it to be a lost leader because they could utilize it and leverage it in a way that it would actually um, utilize that that would actually benefit their other businesses. And it, and in and of itself, it could maybe at some point in time become profitable. Whereas I think that the pressure that Elon is under for it to make money is much greater than it would be if Apple bought it, if 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 Bezos bought it, if Google bought it. So I wonder at some point in time, that's if he doesn't screw it up too much. I mean, of course, he could turn into such a hell of they may not want it. But I do wonder if at some point one of those folks, again, when we think about like the Federal Trade Commission and, and others, um, it, it, it's going to be one of those situations where um, they might, the regulars might not allow it to happen, right? But I, I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a true possibility. Interesting. That's definitely, I can definitely see that. Um, I can definitely see that. I also, I also wonder like, What's going to happen with the EU? They're going after him harder than America is for now, right? I think the United States will step up eventually, but the the Europeans are going after him in a way. So I also wonder what that means for Twitter in the long term, too. You know, just interesting you were talking about it being a lost leader. I, I don't think it has to be. And here's what I mean. If let's just say hypothetically, like somebody like Cuban or Bezos bought it, somebody who isn't as necessarily, pro I know Bezos is problematic. I just think he's less public of a problematic figure than Musk is. If Bezos bought it, I've said this and I don't know how you feel. I would pay like 50 bucks a year for Twitter. If they cleaned it up in the right way, if they, if they made it less spammy, if they didn't have any ads and they made me keep my latest timeline. And if they made it more personable, I think you could get a good amount of Twitter users who use Twitter every single day to pay for it. And you could answer if you will after, but I would personally pay for that. I don't make the most money in the world. Now, will the 16 year old kid who just wants to shit post, will he pay for it? Maybe not, 
But the, I don't know if that's the user you're trying to attract anyways, right? All of us who are on Twitter use it as the way it was probably intended. I bet you there's a lot of people who would pay a dollar a month or uh, $2 a month for it. Um, I have an athletic subscription. I don't know if you do. It costs a dollar a month. I barely read it, but it's just a dollar enough where it doesn't necessarily uh, get my reaction. So I don't think it has to be a loss. I just think it has to be done in a way where people buy into it. And right now, he's the opposite of that. Nobody wants anything to do with Musk. They're selling their Teslas. Tesla stocks at an all-time low. So I don't know. I don't feel like it has to be a loss, personally. Well, here's the thing. Um, The reason why I say loss leader is I think that it's got to be part of a company where, again, Elon's got SpaceX. He's got Tesla. He's got Amazon, he's got a Twitter. They're all three different companies. I think it's got to be owned by someone who can add it to a tech portfolio. So it's not a standalone. And so when I say lost leader, I'm really just talking about taking the pressure off of it to turn a profit. I mean, it would could eventually make money, but what I'm saying is, you know, you know, don't you don't you think that um, Elon how he acquired it and the fact that it's standing by itself, don't you think there's a lot more pressure on him to make money off of it than there would be if Amazon or Apple or Google owned it? And I and I and I agree with you with that model, but those models don't happen overnight. You don't become profitable overnight. That's why I'm saying from a loss leader perspective, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to put it into an environment, you know, where it's it's around other things. But again, when we think about, it, I mean, what was your reaction to uh, the game he was one playing with Apple, where he was literally accusing them of one thing, and it turned out they weren't doing that. And uh, he met, and, and still to this day, we still don't really know what happened because Tim Cook has never responded, even after Tim Cook allegedly met with him. Tim Cook isn't saying, "Oh, we met, and this is what happened." Well, you said you said the perfect word. It was a game. Look, these people, I said it on Twitter. I think you retweeted it. These people think that freedom of speech means they can say whatever and everybody has to treat them the same. And that's just not what freedom of speech is, right? Freedom of speech applies to the government. It doesn't apply to Apple. Apple doesn't have to have you in their app store. Apple doesn't have to support you or buy ads on your platform. That's not freedom of speech. Musk, I th- I think, John, I think he knows that. I'm, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. I just think he's conning people and he's trying to build leverage he has a big enough platform now where apple has to respond and as you can see they clearly did now they didn't respond publicly they basically i think they put him in a room and they said you're out of your mind shut up and he did that right um i also think apple has leverage here because they they could have brought him in a room and said you can't do anything to us and we have the leverage in this situation right and so he changed his tune pretty quickly what we saw john with the hunter biden hunter hunter stuff was Musk was saying, "Oh, this is how is this a freedom of a freedom of a speech violation?" And people are just like, "You don't understand how this works." But I actually think he does understand how it works. But he's just trying to build a narrative right now. He's losing advertisers by the by the boatload, and he's trying to build a narrative that everyone's against him. Right? If you look at Fox News, I've seen some clips. I don't watch it, but I've seen clips. They're saying that nobody's using Twitter anymore because Musk is a right. He's voting for DeSantis, and none of that is absolutely true. So I just think he's trying to build a narrative. That's what Republicans are really good at, is trying to get the narrative on their side. Yeah, well, they are. And I don't know, Musk, 
it, it's been quite the week between uh, off of the Republican tweet, Elon, Trump, Kanye, whatever. But um, it's there's a lot of other stuff going on this week. So the Democrats now have a going into the 118th Congress, which starts on June, January 3rd. They now actually have a new minority leader, uh, Hakeem Jeffries. And as we know, we keep hearing that uh, it's becoming more and more doubtful that even if the Republicans, and they will have the majority, but it's becoming it's becoming more and more doubtful that uh, McCarthy will be speaker. So what has been your reaction to what we've been seeing coming out of Congress this week? Yeah, I think McCarthy's kind of scared, and we know why he's scared, obviously. I, I think he's going to have a hard time. John, I know that Paul Ryan went on to probably be some board and he probably gets a nice little paycheck every single year and speakers and uh, events and bookings and books, if you will. Is is there any other fate for McCarthy here? Like, he, it doesn't seem like he has presidential aspirations. It doesn't seem like he has Senate aspirations or anything like that. So he can't necessarily uh, roll this over. But I don't see a situation where he survives this politically. If they keep the House in 24, I don't think he's Speaker. Uh, if they lose the House in 24, I don't think he's minority minority leader, right? So what do you think – what if – I don't know. He wants it, right? He gets to say I'm the Speaker of the House, and that's just – he could take that forever and bank on it. But do you think he really wants two years of absolute hell? We've seen with Jim Boehner, Paul Ryan. Uh, it's a tough job, especially when you have – a small minority in your caucus that's going to give you hell. Um, I don't know. Do, do does he is this worth it to him? Do you think? Well, I think you hit it on the head, and I think one of the things you remember, Colin Powell, General Colin Powell. Uh, there was a lot of talk and rumors about how he'd make a great president. People wanted him to run for president, and he never did. And because he never became president, people to this day wax poetically about how amazing of a president he would have been. And I've always said that he's had the advantage of, uh, in history, never being president. And I'm not saying that Colin Powell would have been a bad president at all. I think he could have been a good president. But what happens is sometimes people are so hungry for an opportunity that they might not be cut out for that they expose themselves. I mean, Kevin McCarthy could literally be the guy who took the... If if he was if his ego wasn't so large, he could just celebrate with the fact that he was the guy that took Congress back for the Republicans, and he was willing to step aside and let insert name here uh, be uh, speaker. Now, granted, you and I both know their bench is pretty crappy, so you know, I, I you know may, may, maybe it's bad either way, but I don't know. He's going to be a laughing stock. It's going to be a disaster. He's going to be exposed, in my opinion, as horrible. Um, and, um, you know, with uh, Hoyer, Pelosi, and Clyburn still sticking around, Hakeem, Catherine, Clark, and uh, Pete Aguilar are going to run things, but they're going to run things with, uh, let's use a football analogy, they've got they've they've got uh, their quarterbacks and they've got Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and, uh, you know, insert another Hall of Fame, Troy, Troy Aikman on the sidelines, uh, you know, as, 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 as they're, you know, running the game. So 
I don't know. I, I, and, and you know, let's talk about it. I do think, I think I've said to you before, I'm a, as you know, I'm a big Hakeem fan. I'm a Hakeem champion. And I do think that when you think about how McCarthy's having to cut deals and how MTG has got a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of sway, be honest. If the Democrats had a slim majority, Hakeem would really be held hostage maybe by AOC and some of her allies. I think if I'm Hakeem, I almost want to be in the minority so that he can get his leadership solidified, can run that damn caucus, and he can run it from behind and potentially be the leader who takes back the majority and takes it back with a larger margin so that he, I don't know, I I sort of feel... Right now, I'd much rather be Hakeem Jeffries than Kevin McCarthy. Granted, Kevin McCarthy is potentially the speaker. The Republicans are in the majority. But even when you look at how joyous the Democrats have been, the Democrats lost. But have you seen any kind of sadness coming from Democrats on the Hill? Whereas the Republicans won, and they've been tight the entire time. I don't know. Who would you rather be? The the speaker-in-waiting, Kevin McCarthy, or the minority leader, Hakeem Jeffries? Yeah, I'd much rather be Hakeem, no doubt about it. You, you said a lot of good things. Um, look, I sent you something on Twitter that said there's much more vulnerable Republicans in the House in 2024 than there is the Democrats. And so we have a real opportunity here for Hakeem to have his two years, do his thing, build it, and then take the majority in 2024, hopefully with the Democratic White House. Um, the Senate's a different conversation, right? So, and, and with a and with a majority that he doesn't have to, where and not that he needs to screw anybody, but where he can't be held hostage by three people. Yeah, exactly, one thousand percent. Um, you said something open, like you said something about doing it from behind. We talk about it in football all the time, right? It's when you're the underdogs, you got nothing to lose. You open the playbook up, start throwing deep, hail marys, wide receiver passes. You start doing things unconventional because you have to make up the ground. And I think there's an opportunity for Hakeem to do that, right? He's been, he's had viral moments where he's gone at different people. And I think that's effective. That's easier to do now when you're leading and you have to pass bills, especially that we control the white house and the Senate um, that gets harder to do. Now he can kind of sit back, let them act a fool. And then he could pick his, he could pick his battles. And I think, um, I think you're you're hitting the nail right on the head right there. Is is I think it's better. I'd much rather be. I told you this when we when it happened. I kind of I'm a little just a tiny bit glad we lost the house. Or let me rephrase that. The silver lining of us losing the house is it puts us in position to to boost us in 2024, and I think that's good. You said something about losing Democrats. You know this whole podcast before these midterms. This whole podcast. We always said that Democrats won and then complained the next day on the radio. We didn't win the right way. We didn't win by enough. Here we are. We lost and we're acting like we won the Super Bowl because it was a great two years, right? So I think I think that this has shifted. The Democrats have shifted this kind of loser mentality that I think people accuse them of having. I think we I think we're just running and we're playing with house money now and we can't really lose. Right. And Pelosi's going out like a boss. Right, she's 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 going out. She's like, yeah, I, I'll stand on my record, right? You know, I will stand on my record, and 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 you guys can just, you know, bite at it. But like I say, and and see, part of the thing is, too, and you and I have talked. We've something we probably need to talk about a lot 
And I do think that it's something, let's think about some of the things that we know that Manchin and Cinema hurt us, but we now have a majority in the Senate, right? A slim majority. Um, if I'm the Dems, I, all the stuff like child tax credit, which people had and got to touch and feel, I'd run the hell out of that. I Because you and I both know that if you got a child tax credit into the House, and I do think that, you know, the Senate could pass child tax credit first and kick it over to the House. You know, there's no, it doesn't have to start in the House to go to the Senate. I think Now, there might be some bills that have to start in the House and then maybe go to the Senate. But for bills that they can especially pass, you know, without a filibuster, I try to get as much stuff through the Senate and send it to the House and then let the Democrats complain. And these are called what they, the, the phrase that they use a lot of times, Fadi, is called messaging bills. These are messaging bills. Mm -hmm. So what you do is is you go ahead mm -hmm. and you put forth a lot of messaging bills um, and you basically are able to then turn around and say, we'd like to get this done, but these guys are the ones standing in front of it, right? Um, child tax credit, maybe, and can you think of two or three other things that the Dems should run on? And maybe the Republicans give in and, and allow them to pass, but at the very least, you either make them pass it or you hold it, you make them pay for not passing it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because we saw two examples of this this week, right? The Senate um, voted to codify uh, same-sex marriage and Republicans voted against it. And then the the railroad strike. By the way, I don't exactly know the details of that. I thought uh, they were voting on the paid sick leave, whatever. That's a different conversation for a different day. But um, no, 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 no. So they did, they split it up. The railroad strike and paid sick leave both passed the House, only one passed the Senate, but they separated them. That's gotcha. that's all that happened. Um, but they, they made people vote on it, right? And Republicans voted no. Now Democrats can go in 2024 and say, hey, look, they voted against this. You guys want this and they voted against this. So I, I completely agree. I never heard that term before, messaging bill, but it makes sense in my head. I knew this is what they were doing the entire time. I would totally be doing that. There's... There's immigration, I think, policy that we talked about it with Brendan a little bit. I think there's three areas where Democrats could put Republicans on the hot seat. That's immigration. I think that's um, some of the Ukraine stuff, which it, it wasn't necessarily the main issue people were focused on. But there was a lot of polls that showed people that actually cared how Biden responded to the Ukraine situation. So put Republicans on the hot seat there. And so I think there's a lot of and, and gun policy, right? The, the, I think the narrative has shifted in this country regarding guns. Um, and the majority of people want common sense gun reform, right? So I think there's three areas where the Republicans are talking a good game and Democrats can call their bluff and, and put something on the table for Republicans to either veto or if they pass it, Democrats are not afraid to give Republicans a win, right? As long as we do something that's good for the country, that's fine. Um Democrats are going to take that all day long. So I, I think there's there's opportunity there. Yeah, it's, it's you know, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what will happen. Also, I mean, granted, you know, we saw we, the Democrats lost Meacham this week, or Meacham uh, in Virginia. And one of the things I'd pointed out to you before is um, don't be surprised if Youngkin, um, the governor of Virginia, because uh, Congressman Meacham was, uh, was uh, from Virginia, um, don't be surprised if Youngkin takes forever to, to call a special election. When Elsie Hastings, who was a black Democrat from Florida, died, and it was definitely going to be a Democratic seat, uh, DeSantis took forever to call a special election, and that just leaves a vacancy there. 
but um you know now maybe the because we didn't pick up the ones that we thought we were going to pick up maybe uh it probably won't go back and forth like we thought it would um i also know that pelosi uh i believe you know pelosi in my opinion i don't still see her finishing i know she says she's going to serve out her term i don't see it i just see you know and the thing is is that um now for some of these democrats now is actually the time to retire uh the older democrats you know and let let those things go to special election uh because if especially if they're in certain seats but the problem is is if they're in republican states you know those do those special elections get called that's 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 the question but no i'm i'm excited about this this next term and and i and i guess i'm excited because i want to see what akeem's going to do i want to see what akeem's going to do and how we how we how we conduct ourselves and how we move the minority yeah i agree it's going to be interesting to watch um we've been in the majority for a while there right since 2018 so it's interesting to see how this is going to work also we have the senate john right so um it's just a weird dynamic. I don't remember the last time this has happened where we had two of them, but not the third one. Um, usually it's either Obama lost, obviously both, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm also interested in what happens in the Senate judges, Supreme court. Yeah, well, we're going to get the judges. Yeah. Judges are huge. And I, I also wonder what happens with, with, I don't wish ill or death upon anybody. I hope Alito and Clarence Thomas are fine physically, but I don't know, like there's pressure on Alito, obviously, all the stuff he's done, the leaks and stuff like that. There's definitely pressure on Clarence Thomas. And so I don't know. I don't think that they'll step down, but they're just a weird energy around the Supreme Court. And I think it's 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 super important that we have the Senate for the next two years. Also, two years is a long time, John, right? Like picture yourself two years away, like a, a while ago in the heat of COVID. Biden was just inaugurated, like so many different things. The country is in a different place than it used to be. And I just wonder if, I don't know, plus, John, I think it's underestimated, but Trump, Trump's officially running and it's just going to be the news for the next two years. And I think voters are kind of sick of it. And I hope Biden, if he decides to run, I hope he just waits, announces it later. He doesn't necessarily need to start campaigning right away. And I, I just, I wish they would just let Trump kind of be out in the open and let him kind of make a fool of himself. And, and I think that's campaigning enough, if that makes any sense. You know, now here's the thing. And I want to go back to the house for a second. Part of me wonders, remember how I talked about my excitement. Do you think, well, one, we're excited to see what, um, what Akeem can do, but do you also, I wonder if part of my excitement is not only can we, we want, I want to see what Akeem can do, but you know how in sports you like to play the team that is prone to make mistakes, turnovers. I think maybe part of my excitement, one is I want to see Akeem Cook, but I also think that they have an opponent, an opposition party this time, the majority, that is probably going to be a little bit more mistake prone and is probably going to give them openings. Um, now, granted, Pelosi used to run ran circles around McCarthy, and, um, and I believe that in this particular scenario, that um Hakeem with the tutelage of Pelosi, Hoyer, and Clyburn 
is going to run circles around them. So, I mean, do you do you think that the Republican majority in the House is probably going to be mistake prone or definitely uh, give us too many? They're going to uh, make a bunch of unforced errors that might work to our benefit. Uh, yeah, a thousand percent. You know, it's funny. The Bears just played the Jets last week, John, and the Bears were going to start a quarterback who led, who leads the NFL in history. Wait, wait, let me, let me, let, let me correct you. The Bears didn't play the Jets. The Bears took the field against the Jets. They didn't, they did not play. Right. There was a game <laughs> that was played though. The Bears were going to start a quarterback who, in the NFL history, leads the league in NFL pick sixes and. The Jets have a top five defense. And let me just say, I bet I bet the under on that one. So, yeah, I think this is an opportunity for us to get excited, eyes wide open, curveball right down the middle of the field, um, and you could, you could hit it, right? Um, you said something interesting about Pelosi and Hakeem. Pelosi, Pelosi's there, right? It's not like Hakeem will use her every single day. It's, it's Hakeem's house, and he's going to run it. But she's just a phone call. Like It's not like she can't walk down the hall and say, hey, this is what we should do. It's not like she's gone, right? So there is still that tutelage there, Clyburn, obviously, right? And so Hakeem has, yeah, he's a rookie quarterback, but he, his coaching staff's Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and Drew Brees. And right. you mentioned Troy Aikman, so showed your age a little bit there. But he got so he has mm-hmm. coaches, and mm-hmm. he's a hell of a ball player himself. So um, I'm excited. It should be it should be more than fun to watch them kind of mess up. And us pick up uh, the leftovers, which I, I, I feel like we're ready to do. And just so you know, let's think about what 2023 is going to pretend. Because you're going to have a wide open, potentially wide open Republican primary, we don't know. We still think Biden's running. But um, we, you're going to have, by the summer, uh, by the summer, we're going to probably uh, have no business being done in D.C. Um, partly because um think about it we've been through this before the odd number year the party the odd number year before presidential election the party out of power they're already starting these you know huge ass kettle call candidate debates right where there's 15 people running and it's two nights and those are going to start over the summer you're going to see a lot of people making trips um we do know that they'll be doing their bs uh investigations and everything else but I truly believe, and I and I think that the calendar was released and that there was a very small number of legislative days in the upcoming calendar, right? Um, and so what that does is while the Republicans will take advantage of that in many ways, the Democrats will too. And it will allow the, you know, Schumer, it'll allow Hakeem, it'll allow Biden and Harris to go out and just basically talk about what the Republicans aren't doing. And this is why we need to go ahead and give the House back and reelect Joe Biden. And like I say, I don't know how we want to message on, you know, the child tax credit, but I do think that, I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunities to really just exploit what's not getting done with the Republicans in charge. I completely agree. Um, yeah. John, do you think that there is, will be a lot of retirings? Um, I know we talked about Virginia a little bit, but it's so slim in the house and we just took it. We just did so good. Do you think that people um, try to stick it out a little bit? Well, Maxine Waters is in her eighties. Clyburn, Hoyer, Pelosi. um, 
Now, here's the thing. Pelosi not running for re-election as just a rank-and-file member, which he is now. Same with Hoyer. Same with... It's weird. Everybody says we want... We want younger members of Congress, but then when an 82-year-old retires, you're like, oh, that's doom and gloom for the Democrats. But at some point in time, all of these guys are going to be moving on, right? So, the, but the, the thing is, they could probably serve out. So I don't know if there'll be outright retirements. It might just be them saying, oh, this is my last term. Um, I'm less concerned about the Democrats in the safe seats. Um, and if, as long as it's safe seat Democrats, that's fine. If any of it's going to be, um, you know, swing seat Democrats, then I'll get a little anxious. I also want to see how in 24 does New York correct itself, right? Remember how we had those losses in New York? Does New York correct itself or does it stay pat the way that it was? I don't know. You, I didn't think, I think Pelosi probably is better off saying this is my last term and then her seat will be open to, for a primary and uh, in 2024. I don't know. I just, I just can't see her necessarily walking away suddenly. Now she had a rough kind of few months with her husband there. And so maybe um, I, I just feel like she would have already said it. And maybe obviously in the middle of election year, you don't know exactly what's going to happen, but um, I just feel like she would have probably me, not let, run. Let me explain something to you. And this is, and this is speculation, not based on anything inside. Um, you realize that the Speaker of the House, more so than the Senate, the, the majority leader in the Senate, the Speaker of the House is second in line and is the equivalent in many cases internationally to a prime minister, right? You are, you are treated as a de facto head of state. You have a, you have a two-car motorcade <laughs> that literally, you know, she won't have that two-car motorcade. Um, she, you should see, you should see the plush offices she has. She has a, a, she'll, she'll just have her little, no, she's not going to have a cubicle, right? And she'll probably, based upon seniority, still have a pretty kick-ass office. But she's, there's so many lovers that she's giving up. It might come, come May, come June, and you got to, I mean, first of all, you know, she's the speaker. She's not been on committees. Does she go? Does does she go to a committee and have to deal with Jim Jordan? Right, you, you know what I'm saying? Is what? What is she just going to be a rank and file with no committees, or is she going to be the ranking member of this committee or that committee? Um, I could see where she's. She might say, "Yeah, I'm sticking around," but come May, come June, she might be like, <laughs> "Yeah, that and, makes sense." Wait, wait. But 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 then let me let me give you another piece of insight. Now I'm going to be really really inside baseball. Seniority in the house is outrageously important. Okay. Um, I'm not sure what Pelosi's district is. I'm not sure what Hoyer's district is. But you realize that if they retire and they're replaced through special election, whoever replaces them moves up in seniority over everyone else in that in it so like if let's just say i ran for Pelosi's spot um i would be 200 i'd be 435th in seniority for the rest of this congress but in 2024 when there's the new congress i jump up everybody else that came in i'm and then think about it, there's deaths there's retirements and so 
um, if you are one of the people in, that is in those districts to replace some of the retiring members or members that may retire, you do want to come in special election because believe it or not, and seniority comes to down to office space. Every time the, the member of Congress I work with, every time there's a vacancy, we start calculating what this means in seniority. And there's a lot of benefits and both seniority within the, the entire Congress at large and seniority within your particular caucus. So that's the other thing is that um, the whoever, if Pelosi were to lead, whoever replaces her, uh, I mean, think about it. The woman who, what's our friend in um, the new Congresswoman out of Alaska? She's got more seniority than all the people who were just elected because she got in. Same with Chantel Brown. Chantel Brown came in. So Chantel Brown has more seniority because, now granted, she's brown. and So Brown, just to you know, if everybody comes into the same class, it goes to alphabetical order the next, right? So if, if everybody, all the people that are, are elected now, their seniority, they, get, they come in at the same level, but then they have to give them still ranking, and that goes by alphabetical order. But Chantel Brown, because she came in on a special election, she's ahead of everybody else. And then the woman who came in in Alaska is ahead of everybody else. So yeah, seniority does matter. It's interesting. I, I guess I didn't think of the perks of the job. You you are two seats away or one seat away really from from the throne. And that's interesting. That's I never really thought about that before. Think, think about think about it. she's gonna go from she's gonna go from literally having uh a a a a detail that is this uh, that is a that of a governor or higher to She's on her own. She doesn't get. She doesn't automatically get uh, Capitol Police. She, like I say, she's the Speaker of the House. She's the CEO of Capitol Hill. She's just not just going to be some rank and file member, right? Uh, it's it's going to be. You know, they're going to treat her right. They're not going to diss her. The Democrats are not going to diss her. But she's definitely going to. She's giving up a lot of perks, and that's what you do. And then I can't say it's going to be. It's going to be hard to just get up and get excited, especially in the minority. She might stick around in the majority, but in the minority? Yeah, nah, son. And and because she's no longer speaker, you know, uh, just, you know, having someone like a Lauren Boebert think they can just talk to you any kind of way and be, you know what I'm saying? It's just, ah, nah, son. All of a sudden, I, I wouldn't do it. All of a sudden, June and July, the summer months get pretty long and you start thinking about, vacationing and stuff like that. Yeah, I can totally see it. I didn't really see it the way you painted it, but now that you do, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so, hey, look, we're over an hour. So for now, this is John signing off. This is Fadi signing off. Thanks for joining us, guys. <laughs>